Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 17. Good to see everybody. My name is Brad Jackson, senior pastor here. When you came in, you should have got a bulletin, and inside the bulletin is a thing called a spiritual formation assessment. If you did not get one, as I'm kicking off into the message here, if you could raise your hand, the ushers will walk around and they will give you one if you did not get one. Very important because we're actually going to walk through this at the end of the service. Hopefully it will be a real gift to you to um, in January when we're all thinking about new and being intentional. Uh, we want to allow us or give us the gift to be able to do that in our spiritual life as well. So keep your hand raised. They have a bunch more. They'll hand one out to you. And uh, for those of you that started filling that out before, if that's your personality type, stop. Amazing in a group this size, the personality types that come together, and uh, we, we'll do that at the end. And I, I hope, I, I really believe that our, our text this morning um, will allow us to walk through that in a way that's meaningful to all of us. We, if you're new, we're in a year-long series looking at the whole picture of the Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, trying to get a sense of what God's story, the whole story, is all about. So we encourage you to buy what's called a Wayfinding Bible. If you can't afford it, we would love to give you one. Just check with the uh, Guest Connections desk out there, and we would love to give you one of those. So this morning, 1 Samuel 17, if you grew up in the church, you know that one of the most famous people in the Old Testament is a guy by the name of David. King David, very important, connected to uh, the birth of Jesus, all these different things. If you know about David, you know that one of the most famous lines about David is that he was a man after God's own heart. It's a line that we hear in the Old Testament, and I think for a lot of us, it's, we try and wrap our mind around that. What does that mean? Why was he called that? David is often connected with individual other people. Early on in his life, it's David and Jonathan. As it goes along in the story, then it's David and Saul. Later in his life, it's David and Bathsheba when he made a very awful mistake. And the story that we're going to look at this morning might be the most famous of all of them. That's David and Goliath, right? We all know it. We've heard it. My hope this morning as we look at it is that we can hear it in a fresh and new way. That God could say something to us that we need to hear this morning from this absolutely beautiful but sort of dark, intense text. Let me give you a little background to 1 Samuel, and then we're going to read down through parts of the chapter. We don't have time to read down through the whole thing. But First and 2 Samuel are actually one book, and it's, it's essentially history. And it gives us the history from Samuel, who's the last judge, through Saul and David, the first two kings. Very important time in the life of Israel in the Old Testament. Essentially what, what this book is doing is that it's giving God's people an understanding of how to take Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy they got the law and they essentially got this worldview of what it meant to be God's people. They're now translating that into what life looks like as a nation and as a nation that is called to be God's people. So with all that said, let me pray before we jump in. Father... By your spirit, would your word be clear? That the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you so that we can hear your word in all its beauty and all its power. Pray this in your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 15, it says this. And I, I want to encourage you to, you, you heard it growing up and we probably 
over-vanillaized it. That's not a word, but we're going to pretend like it's a word. We, we, we sort of soften how intense this, this was. So as we read through it, try and imagine what's going on. And we said last week, this is much more like Lord of the Rings than the modern reality of war we see. This is going to be large armies up on hills coming together in the middle of a valley. So here we go, verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Demim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills, and you can sort of imagine that with this valley in between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Timberwolves could use him big time. Amen. <laughs> he wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. He's a big guy. You, you can imagine what's, what's sort of going on here. Goliath is essentially the ancient equivalent of weapons of mass destruction today. This is a guy that can take out a whole army. It's intriguing. In the Old Testament, he's connected to the descendants of Nephilim who appear in uh, Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And those are the giants in Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Numbers 13 says this about them. 13 verse 33 says... There we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites come from the Nephilim, and to ourselves we seem like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So Goliath literally is heads and shoulders and heads and shoulders above everybody else around him. He can take down an army all by himself. The Nephilim were known for their gigantic size, and they were amazing, amazing warriors. So this is the guy coming out against God's people. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight for me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Then Saul and the Israelites heard this. They were terrified and deeply shaken. Let's jump down to verse 16. The next few verses tell about David. Verse 16 says this. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelites' army. Isn't that it? Every day, morning and night, telling them that they're nothing, that he will defeat them. Let's jump down to verse 23. The verses before that tell about who David is, connected to his father, Jesse. Verse 23 says this. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him. David's been sent now by his dad to bring stuff for his brothers. David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give the man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. It'd make you think twice, right? <laughs> you get a wife, you never have to pay taxes again. Maybe it's worth going out and giving your life up for this opportunity to kill Goliath. Verse 26, David asked the soldiers, 
And in these next number of verses, listen to the words that David uses time and time again. David asks the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about the few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and deceit. You just want to see battle. Jump down to verse 32. Don't worry about the Philistines, David said to Saul. Now, David is in front of Saul. So he says, don't worry about them. I'll go and fight them. Saul looks at this young shepherd boy. And he says, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly when you're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. The next few verses tell about David coming back, telling stories of killing bears and lions when he was protecting his sheep. And in verse 36 it says, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to the pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented. And you, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. In other words, it's not looking good for you, so may the Lord be with you. I hope it doesn't hurt too badly. Verse 40. David has been given Saul's armor. If you remember the story, he's given Saul's armor. He starts to walk around. It's like, this is a little too heavy. I'm not used to this. Shed Saul's armor. He's just in his normal garb that a shepherd would walk around with. And we come to verse 40. It says, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into the shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. You can imagine this, armies on both sides, nine foot plus giant warrior walking down, little shepherd boy with a few stones. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his, his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, man, this... David, they, these words are amazing. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in the Goliath, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. I'm going to stop there. We, at the end of it, he goes and, and does what he said. He cuts off his head and they defeat the Philistine armies. But we read a story like this and it's such a big story. And most often we hear this story and we jump right to essentially moral teaching of who's your Goliath and what stones do you have to defeat the Goliaths in your life, right? And there's something to that. We're going to talk about that a little bit at the end. But we have to connect this to who Jesus is first. The very first week that we started this Wayfinding series, we looked at Luke 24. 
And in Luke 24, Jesus has died and risen from the dead, and he's walking the Emmaus Road with this young couple who had followed him, but now they're distraught because Jesus is dead, and a dead king is not a good king. And Jesus walks alongside them, and he begins to open the Old Testament. It says in Luke 24, 27, Jesus explained to them, What was said about himself in all the scriptures, he began with Moses and the prophets. He began with what we're teaching, saying, by the way, that stuff back there actually tells about me. And I think if we're going to read 1 Samuel 17 and read it well and read it correctly and let it impact our lives, our first understanding has to be connected to Jesus. And not that David's line is where Jesus is born out of, but actually David gives us an understanding of who Jesus is. That when we look at David and when we see that he represents this cowering army, this cowering nation, that he goes into battle and defeats what for them is death and what for them is evil, that tells us about what Jesus did. That tells us that Jesus did the exact same thing that Jesus represents us and that he went to the cross and in the resurrection defeats sin and death and evil. He did the same thing. We miss that often because we downplay and we make the story so vanilla that at its core, this story of David and Goliath is actually about God's ultimate victory over the powers of sin and death. And this story invites us to trust Jesus in new and different ways so that we can defeat the powers of sin and death that are in our lives and that are around us. That this is about the ultimate victory over any power that destroys life. That just as David defeated Goliath, so Jesus defeated sin and death in the cross and resurrection. It's interesting, even... In the first couple centuries, Augustine, one of the great church fathers, he talks about this. And he says that just as David cut off Goliath's head, so Jesus defeats Satan in a similar way. That this is about victory. What Jesus has done is that we are now invited to be people who can have this type of life, who can live victorious lives. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 says this. Those, children's, those children have bodies made out of flesh and blood. So Jesus became human like them in order to die for them. By doing this, he could break the power of the devil. The devil is the one who rules over the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus could set people free who were afraid of death. All their lives they were held as slaves to fear. Most importantly, when we read about David and Goliath, it's not just reading another nice story. It's reading God's story. It's reading that in God's story, sin and death and evil are ultimately defeated. And that we are invited when we trust in that story, we are invited to live the same type of victorious lives. And if we miss that in the story, we miss the whole of the story. That the invitation when we read David and Goliath is actually to trust that Jesus' death and resurrection is victory over evil. And that for some of us, we trust that for the first time. For some of you here this morning, you're hearing this story like, what in the world? That's connected to Jesus? And Jesus, is, what, what does that mean? And the invitation is to trust Jesus. Not the powers of this world, not ourselves, but to actually 
trust Jesus. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, it's again and again the same invitation. Like, wait a second, I'm hearing parts about Jesus that maybe I didn't get before. And the invitation again is to trust more fully in who this Jesus is. And that brings us to where we often go. Is when we read 1 Samuel 17, we talk about Goliath and we talk about stones, right? And now we can talk about that. Because we know if through Jesus' death and resurrection that we have victory over death, that evil is defeated, now we can talk about the dark places. Now we can talk about evil. Now we can talk about the things in our life, the Goliaths that we see around us that need defeated. And so what is that? What are the Goliaths in your life? What's the struggle? What's the sin? What's the addiction? What is it in your life that you've tried to defeat time and time again? You've tried with weapons of war. You've tried it with all the things that you can muster up to try and defeat it. And you fail time and time and time and time again, right? We've all been there. Because the heart of this is that the stones that David used point us right back to Jesus Christ. And what the gospel says through this text is you can try all day long. Maybe sometimes you'll get it. But when you put your full faith and dependence in what Jesus did, victory can actually happen. That this broken, defeated human being who was divine God, who walked to the cross, defeated evil, and you can trust in that and begin to walk through places of darkness and pain that you see in your life. I'm going to stop there for a second and pray because I, I want us to think about that as we go into this time where we do some spiritual assessing. Father, we're sort of leaving that on the edge of the cliff. And I think there's some in this room, God, who hear this story. And maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, they hear that there is a God who did for them what they could not do on their own. Went to the cross, defeated sin and death. God, I pray that for any in this room who that is what they're hearing, that they would put their faith and trust in you, turn from anything else, any sin, any shame, any pain, whatever it might be. And I think for all of us, God, we hear this story and we know the Goliaths in our lives. We know evil, we know sin, and we often don't know how to walk through it into light and life. So God, I pray that we would trust Jesus more today because we understand more of who you are, of who God is. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. So, the uh, thing you have in your bulletin, by the way, as, as I start explaining this, if you don't have something to write with, raise your hand and the ushers will come around with pencils. Um, if you have something to write with, please pull that out, but... Uh, yeah, just keep your hand raised and they, they'll come around with baskets of pencils. Um, early on in the covenant 
tradition. The covenant tradition comes out of Swedish Lutheran roots in the late 1800s and um, it's connected to pietism and some places where people were saying it's not just about going to church, it's actually about having a living, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the questions that early on they would ask one another would be when two covenanters, covenanters would come up to, to greet each other, they would say, how goes your walk? How goes your walk? And we want to say that on an annual basis in January as a church body to be intentional about our spiritual walk. We want to say as a community, how goes your walk? And give us time, and we're going to even take time during this service to reflect on what that means. So on the front of the assessment, um, I just threw a, a few thoughts around what, why this is so important. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is not pretty music or a good message. The most important thing that keeps me up, that keeps um, our staff up, that keeps our council up when we think about our church is that you are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. It's what Paul talks about in the book of Galatians. He says, I'm in birth pains until you are formed into the image of Jesus Christ. Second paragraph says this, one tension that we deal with is that God not only loves us just the way we are, and you need to hear that, God loves you just as you are, but he also loves you enough that he wants you to become who he made you to be. Exact, not who you, you think you should be, not who you compare yourself to, but God wants you to become who he made you to be. And then the other tension that we live in when we talk about formation becoming like Christ is there's no one size fits all, right? There's no one size fits all. You are different than me. You're different than the person sitting next to you. Your story is different. Your narrative, your struggle, your joy, all of that is different. And so we bring all that together and we as a church want to be intentional about what it means when we come to a new year and assess where we are with God. So what we're going to do, what this is going to look like, is that we're going to give you four minutes. There's going to be a timer up in the screen for a few personality types. That's going to drive you absolutely crazy. I hope for the majority of you, it just it allows you to know sort of how long we have. Um, for the majority of you, you're going to go down through this. Um, you're going to fill it out and you're going to get to the second page and it's around our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our relationship with the world. You're going to get to the end of it and you're sort of going to know as you head into this year, here's two things that I, I want to do, that I want to get more serious about, that I want to be more intentional about. Uh, for some of you, you're going, to, you're going to fill this out and you may start to cry, you may start to shake, but you're going to essentially be thinking, I don't know what to do. What do I do with this? I, I want to love God more. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, what we want to say to you is on the back of this, fill this out, name and email. At the end of the service, just throw it in this box, this basket in the back, and we'll connect with you. We'll shoot you an email. We'll find a time to connect and have a conversation and say, let's talk about what God has for you. What's next for you? Um, the second question I want to point out on the top left says, Have I committed or reconciled my life to God by trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Um, for some of you, you're here and you're like, yeah, I did that a long time ago, put my faith in Christ. For some of you in the last year, you've either done it for the first time or you're away from the church thing for a long time and you sort of recommitted your life to Christ. We strongly encourage you, if that's you, please let us know. Um, put it in the basket. We want to connect and talk through what, what are ways in which um, God wants to grow your faith, that new faith, that thing that he's doing in you. So a little music playing, and for four minutes, 
Um, take time to fill this out. If you don't get it done, take it home with you. And like I said, if you need help at the end of the service, drop it in the box. Go ahead. For some of you, that four minutes might be the greatest gift of the week, right? Four minutes to sit and not do anything. Or um, So in Philippians, Paul, right after he had talked about that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, that one day that will be the reality and that we, we live in the in-between, right? We know that there's light and life and good, but we see darkness and we see pain in our lives and the world around us. But then he goes on and says this to the church. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, be really intentional about this. Your life with Christ is the most important thing. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you. Work hard, but completely depend on the life and light of God that is within you. That's why we do this. Because at the end of the day, it is the most important thing, how we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, as we sing this last song, God, I, I, I really pray that it would be, um, that it could be a moment, a time, a, a, a mark sort of in, in our heads where we, we claim your grace and your love in our lives and out of that grace and love, we, we decide to be very intentional about whatever it is we filled out. Maybe for some of us, it's leaning into a relationship where we need to practice some repentance and forgiveness. Lord, for some of us, maybe it is being honest that the fruits of the Spirit don't look a lot like our lives, and yet they should. But God, I pray that in all of it, your grace, your goodness, your love would drive us towards you and in being driven towards you that we would become more like you. Pray this in your name. Amen.